Yes, this is the Amazon Planet Podcast, Episode 11, Identify Your Tribes. I'm your host, Joel Amadon, and I hope this recording finds you well. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Also, thank you to all of you out there for sharing, subscribing, and reviewing. Every time one of you does any of those actions, it's just a big support. It makes the podcast more visible, and it helps me learn what gets people excited about the content I am putting out there. And speaking of support... Another big thank you to all the folks out there who supported the podcast and helped me celebrate my 41st birthday by getting themselves some Amazon Planet swag. By the time this episode drops, people should start receiving in the mail their shirts and hoodies. And just in case you missed out or are regretting not purchasing a Be The Good shirt, you can head to the show notes or to AmazonPlanet.com. There's a link in the uh, header and in the footer uh, for the Amazon Planet store. Just click on that link and there you will find t-shirts, hoodies, even baby onesies. So if you like something, get something. If not, that's just thanks for considering. All the proceeds go to support the production costs of the Amazon Planet podcast. You know, enjoy doing this. Costs a little bit of money, so again, any support is helpful. But the reason, the reason why we're doing this, the reason why we're putting this podcast out there, just a reminder, is the Amazon Planet podcast, the purpose of it is to learn how to teach better. And again, we think of teaching broadly, We're not just talking about kids in in the classroom. We're talking about anyone that's trying to influence a relationship between someone and some content, right? There's a lot of parents that are parents that are acting as teachers, coaches. Uh, Anyone that's in a job where you're you know interacting with someone, you're probably doing some teaching. So the goal of the podcast, my own personal goal, is to lead people to love others through teaching. I think that's a way that we can make the world a little bit better place. And so, which is awesome because I had an opportunity to influence the relationship between the person we're interviewing for this podcast and some content. It's a former student, Drew Hall, who's now a teacher in Quitman County Middle School. He has agreed to join me on the podcast, or he did agree. We recorded it, and you're going to hear it in a little bit, um, and is willing to come in and talk about his work teaching a novel which is a little bit different. We haven't done a novel yet on the Amazon Planet podcast, but the novel is The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexie. I experienced this book when I was a doc student. It was a common read at the University of Wisconsin-Madison in the School of Education. Anyone who wanted the book can get it, and I, I got it and read it. And so at that time, it meant a certain something to me because uh, I believe at that time I was a parent but a parent of some very small kids. Now I'm a parent of a teenager who is exactly the same age as the character, the main character in the book. It means a little bit something different. Lots of different themes and topics to get into in this book. Excited for you to hear my discussion with Drew. It's a fairly, it's a, it's a decent length uh, discussion, so I don't want to spend much more time ahead of it. I do want to talk about the theme of the book, the, or the theme of the podcast. Uh, I talked about identifying your tribes. And I think one thing that comes out towards the end um, that led me to want to you know, use it to title the podcast is that we all have these tribes that we're a part of. And, and the, uh, Arnold, at the end of the book, the main character in the book, makes a list of all these tribes and trying to think like who we identify with, right? And that is something that, you know, you think about a teenager is trying to do, who do we identify with? Like, who are we trying to be alike or how are we differentiating ourselves from others? And then if we are different from these big tribes, how do we find a place for us to be and where we can be welcomed and safe uh, to be who we want to be, who we feel we are to be? And I think that's something we're all trying to do. It's something we're all trying to do. So I like that as a theme. That's why we titled the episode that. 
And so before we get into the discussion again, I don't want to lay, delay too much, but I got one more thing I want to say, and that's the disclaimer. And this, you've heard it before, but before I jump into the interview with Drew, just a quick disclaimer. In no way will we, will we Drew and I, be able to communicate the whole value of the book. We're just not going to do it. Uh, we do maybe give away some plot points, but again, it's a pretty good book, and you're, even if we give some of those away, it's still worth purchasing. So if you like what you hear, go get the book for yourself. I mean, and this book has been out for a while, so there's lots of different places you can find it. But if you're looking for a place to buy it, there's links to purchase the book. Uh, they'll be in the show notes, which can be found at amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 11. Or seek it out wherever you buy high-quality books like this one. And I purchased this book actually at Square Books Junior. So it's a young adult book. Um, but you could also find it at your quality independent bookstore in your town. So we love supporting those small uh, independent bookstores. Uh, they're good for the community, just like teachers are good for the community. And we'll talk about that in a bit as well. All right, no more delays. Here's my discussion of The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexi with Drew Hall. Drew Hall. That is me. Fantastic. I am so excited that we're getting a chance uh, to do this. Um, you're my student, and I was your teacher. That's kind of weird. Yes, I, we had two classes together, I think, in college, so both junior year. EDCI 352 and 353. Yeah, kind of the core foundational classes for some reason just fit in your schedule or whatever. Yeah, if my memory serves me, I think I learned something. So that's <laughs> that's <good>. great. Fantastic. <laughs> so the big question is, what are you going to call me during the podcast? I'll let, I'll let you, what would you like me to call you? you? Can, say Joel. Joel. Yeah, it'd be awkward. Joel. I'm going to call you Joel. Fantastic. All right. Is that weird saying the first time? As long as it's okay with you. All right, we're good. We're good. So, uh, so excited to have Drew uh, here on the podcast. And, um, uh, you know, just to inform the audience, uh, been coming to your classroom and seeing you do a little bit of teaching, and which is exciting given, again, we've had some of those classes together and get to see how you're teaching English uh, in your classroom. I'll let you tell, talk about your classroom a little bit. But then saw you were teaching a book that I had some experience with, uh, The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by uh, Sherman Alexie, classic National Board Award or National Book Award winner, um, classic book, and got excited to, hey, maybe we could feature this book on the podcast, and you were open to doing that. So thank you. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. It's something I've really been excited about teaching and my second year teaching, and I didn't teach it last year, so I've been really pumped about doing it. And so far, so good. I think we're about 20 pages from being done, and I've, I've really enjoyed teaching it. So uh, just so you, you're talking about your teaching, where are you teaching? I teach 7th grade English at Quitman County Middle School, which is about an hour away from Oxford, about an hour away from Cleveland. Those are the two major cities. Oxford, Mississippi, to. and Cleveland, Mississippi, just yes. in case you thought we were in Ohio or, so sorry. or England or yes. something like that. Marks, Mississippi is the name of the town, so I teach 7th um, grade. My school is 5th through 8th grade, so I have some of the older students. And um, it's a county school and a lot smaller than, than a lot of other middle schools in the state. We, I'm the only 7th grade English teacher, and so that's presented some opportunities but also some challenges as well. So that's kind of the good part about that is I get to teach pretty much whatever I want, which is how I was able to work my way in teaching this novel that others, some people might not always think about as classic literature, the classic canon or anything like that. Well, uh, let me tell you, so when I saw this book, this book was actually a common read book 
when I was in the School of Education as a doctoral student um, uh, at the University of Wisconsin. So everyone was able to get a copy of the book, kind of like how we have Common Reads here mm-hmm. at the University of Mississippi. And so everyone got a copy of it, and I had a chance to read it. And just amazing sort of, like, <laughs> and at the time I was in my, I think my third, well, I was in my 30s, and had children, and so was kind of coming from that perspective, but still it, like, it, like, rewound my life back to, it was a flashback back to my, like, my teenage years, right, and thinking about uh, what are the things I'm going through. I mean, obviously not exactly like uh, the character in the book, but, I mean, it was just like, this is, there's a, there's a lot of things that I can connect with and a lot of things I learned from, from the book. I think something that's really powerful about the book is that there's probably, you know, a hundred different themes that you could look at and choose from every chapter. Something new happens, something that, like I said, doesn't always happen in your classic literature books, but it is really relatable, especially to middle school, high school students. Mm-hmm. So I re- actually got, I read it, I think, when I was in high school and then got reintroduced to it because one of the common reads when I was in school at Ole Miss was um, Ten Little Indians by mm. Sherman Alexie. Yes. And so that's you know, a short story collection, which wasn't my year, but I ended up reading it and kind of got reintroduced to Alexie and um, picked this book back up, and I've been really excited about it since. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, the uh, When you first read it, you said you read it. Was it a teacher that introduced you to the book originally, or is it just you picked it up on your own? I want to say it was a library book, okay. something that I kind of stumbled upon and... Maybe other people were talking about it, but it wasn't. It didn't have. I don't think it had the same popularity as it probably does today. Yeah, yeah it's kind of, it, it has been. Uh, I've, I mean, I've seen it in multiple institutions, multiple schools being highlighted, and then also hearing from some of my um, uh, teaching friends back home where they're trying to use it to teach in their schools as well. So I mean, people are recognizing it as a book that's that is good at connecting to some, a lot of different issues that um, that young adults are. Um, are addressing in their lives. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so why did you want to teach it? I think there are because you had to fight for it a little bit, right? So last year uh, was my first year at the school, and um, fresh farm fresh, right? Yeah, <laughs> first year, good times. But I was I didn't really have any say over what I was going to be teaching. So they said, you know, here are some things you can't do. Here's some things you can do, but you really got to stick to those. I didn't really have any. You know, what do the kids call it? Clout. <laughs> like I couldn't I couldn't make those decisions on my own. And so I was told that the book was it was too low of a lexile level, which so it was I think it's about a fifth grade technically reading level and the content in there is probably on tenth or eleventh grade level. Yeah. And so they said, Well that was too far apart and you know, you teach seventh grade, so you really need to focus on seventh grade level novels. So I said, as a first year teacher, yes ma'am. And yeah. you know, so I taught something else, which was fine, but I went back, so I actually, when I taught summer school, I think four summers ago, back in Houston, Texas, which is where I'm from, I am from um, sorry about the Astros. That's right. okay. Yeah, It's, it's still okay. sensitive, but yeah. okay. I'll be over it by okay. next season. <laughs> um, man. Should have kept coal, should have put coal in. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 sorry. All right, continue on. Uh, <laughs> I'm not ready to talk about it yet. <laughs> but I was teaching um, summer school at a kind of an enrichment program in Houston, and this was one of the reads that my students did. And they taught they were they were in eighth grade, and I think that that was really powerful for them. It was powerful for me as a teacher to see the way that they connected to the novel, and you know, a lot of them had difficult home situations and things going on. They could really relate to the the things that went on in this book, and so come back to my second year of teaching I said you know know what like the the pros outweigh the cons of this book definitely and so I kind of 
advocated for the ability to teach it and made some good points. And I even showed my administrators, you know, here's exactly this page where there's some not so great, you know, seventh grade appropriate quote unquote text in here. But um, I think they could see that I was pretty passionate about it. And after showing them the overall message of it, they really have been for it. So I don't know how I ended up you know, deciding to teach it other than I taught at summer school and that kind of reopened my eyes to how great it can be for students, especially students who are struggling to figure out who they are and who they're supposed to be. And those, those themes really stick to me. Awesome. Well, so anyone that's listening that might not be familiar with the book, what's a a summary of the book? So, uh, Sherman Alexie, uh, this is kind of, he calls it kind of his autobiography. It's called the absolutely true diary, but not technically true, but it kind of does relate back to his childhood. Um, it's about a boy who in the book is named junior and, um, he grows up on a native American reservation in Spokane, Washington. And he has to kind of make a decision. Do I want to stay on this reservation where it doesn't seem like I'm going to have a lot of opportunities and everyone I see is not doing anything with their life and everybody's having really hard times or do I want to go to the school that is 30 minutes away and it's going to be really difficult filled with people that don't look like me um, that are not used to the same cultures as me they're going to see me as an outsider so it's kind of him struggling with that decision and struggling with what people think about him both the people that he leaves on the reservation and the people he comes to um, at his new school and so I would say it's mostly about you know discovering who you are and discovering that it's okay to not know who you are mm-hmm. And, you know, I really think it's just... Maybe it's not just, forget who you are, too, you know? Yeah. At the same time. That's a good point, because he, you can be also... You can have two identities at once, and you can be two different people, and um, I think a lot of my students really relate to that, and I relate to that in a way, and so um, I guess that would be a short summary of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, we're going to get into it. So um, let's let's hop into the categories. So, yes, yeah, just to review, first category that we do is high five. Uh, so we're talking about our top five learning so we have not consulted before now so i'm interested to see what your five would be or what my five would be and i'm guessing there's going to be some overlap and together we'll we'll come up with the grand total of five yeah. so all right what, what do you got first you can go first to be honest i only came with three prepared so oh, hopefully, fantastic. hopefully no, no, no. joel can be fill great. in the five I will. Um, joel will fill in the five all right That's third person stuff there you go um i think the number one thing that stuck out to me uh reading it myself and sharing with my students is that um Students are going through difficult times outside of the classroom. I think that's something, you know, we always know, we always want to talk about and remind ourselves, but uh, some of the stuff that Junior deals with in the novel are, you know, really harsh and things that no, he's in ninth grade in the book, no ninth grader should should need to go through and have to go through, but it's unfortunately it's the reality. Like so, what are some things? Like, we're not going to spoil the plot. Um... A lot of death. Yeah, yeah, a lot of death, yeah. Uh, and that, I mean, it's a, it's a part of life and it's realistic, but... I think it's a really hard thing for students to cope with. And so I've had students that have told me, you know, that they relate to Junior in this way because they've lost a couple of people that are close to them. And I think we recognize these things about our students and we're told that students go through hard times and we can see that, but it's not always it's not always humanized until students have a chance to, like, see it reflected in a book that they're reading. That, you know, it's okay to be so- struggling with death or with mm-hmm. not knowing who you are or with friends leaving you behind or you leaving friends behind and... Those are valid emotions because I think seventh graders especially don't always know if their emotions are valid. They kind of throw it out there and mm-hmm. see what see what sticks. Yeah. So like, is it okay for me to be sad? Is it okay for a boy to have to be friends with another boy? Like, is it okay to share those emotions? And so I think to see those things realized in a book would be like my number one thing that it 
it validates students' feelings. Yeah, I mean, I think even, too, like, some of the things he's dealing with, when you, you say he's dealing with death, I mean, each of the deaths, though, his grandmother, well, I won't give away the full plot of the books, but, I mean, all these deaths are somehow connected to alcohol mm-hmm. and alcoholism and uh, and just that. It's almost like alcohol or alcoholism almost is another character in this book um, mm-hmm. that's affecting a lot of things in Junior's life and just how um, that's painful, like painful, and knowing that it's still, that character still is out there, you know. Yeah, and I think he, he brings it up where he says, you know, people are supposed to die, but they're not supposed to die by this. They're not supposed to die because of alcohol, because mm-hmm. of these bad situations. And, yeah, yeah I, I, and it just, like, the thing about, you say that kids are dealing with stuff outside and, like, one, having the ability to express themselves and, like, there might be difficulty there, so how do we give them voice? And maybe the book is a way, like, it's seen how... Arnold is dealing with it through drawings and uh, his writing or even his lists at the end of the book. Um, but also, too, like, th- thinking they're, they're having things going on in their lives that are affecting what's happening in the classroom, and it's not an affront to me as the teacher, mm-hmm. right? Oh, you yeah. didn't do your assignment? Oh, are you mad at me? It's like it has nothing to do with you as the teacher. And like, I remember that was a learning I had in the classroom is, like, the students not doing their assignments, and I'm like thinking, like, man, they must not like me. They must not like my class. They might think I'm no, no. It just could be that they're dealing with a death, or they're dealing with some drama in their life. They're dealing with, uh, you know, caring for a, uh, a sibling because uh, their uh, mom or dad has to work a second shift, and who knows what they're dealing with. And just because they don't do a task that I've asked them to do, it might it's it, it doesn't mean that they they're you know, offended by my class or something. Yeah, definitely. That's something I, I think I struggled with last year was figuring like, why is it my class or why is Mm. it this? And it's like, it's really not that it's, it's just life. Yeah. Life gets in the way. Life does get in the way. And I think, uh, uh, when we, (laughs) you think like if I had something like just, I was thinking today, man, if I have a flat, I had a lot of driving going on, a lot of, you know, getting people to certain places and like, just think of what a flat tire would have done to my my right. life today. I was like, and I saw my low pressure light come on, like, ooh, and it's fine. We're fine. It's fine. Hopefully, it's still fine after this <laughs> podcast. But um, you know, thinking like how much that could throw my life into a loop versus, I mean, even just thinking of uh, Junior trying to get all the way to school, <laughs> like, was a, a big triumph every single day. Like he had a lot of a lot of ways to go to get there. Um, that was a big deal, and just even all the other things that's happening in people's lives, and that, that's a that's a lot. Yeah, be a lot. reading this book has been you know, a daily reminder of those things. So, mm-hmm. and I just got my tires filled up with air. So, if you need a ride, good somewhere, job. Just let me know. Nice. Um, well, you want to go another one, or you want me to do one? Um, I'll do I'll do my second one, which is um, I think it's really important to expose um, students to cultures and beliefs that they're not familiar with. Mm. Um, and again, that might sound like common sense, but it's something that really I don't think is, is done a whole lot in my school. Um, so I teach at a school that is um, 99% African American, and that's been a wonderful experience for me as a white man to be able to kind of um, learn from my students and learn from my students' families and grow with them in that. But also this book is about Native American culture, which is something that my students don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. This is actually seventh grade is the first year that they have any formal history class mm-hmm. in school. And so we're not focused on, you know, 
unfortunately, we're not focused on Native American history. We're focused on can we get the essentials? Can we make sure that we're, mm-hmm. you, know, you know the very important things in history that have happened? And so um, that's been something that's been really important to me, even as an English teacher, not a history teacher. How can I make sure that my students are aware that there are cultures that are different than them? Um, how can they be able to talk about it respectfully? And how can we understand that people are different from us? And recognize that we don't know everything. So even I don't know everything about Native American culture. So can we get experts in there? Can we can we learn from people on the internet? Can we learn from light, you know current events that are happening? And so thing like the exposure to culture that um, in Mississippi is so often black and white. That's how we define you know race. It's there's other cultures and um, people out there that we don't always talk about. Right. So. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and that's I guess something that I connected with was. Um, thinking about uh, reservation life or a life of Native Americans. I grew up in Wisconsin, and you know, some of my life was in Black Earth Falls, Wisconsin, and there is a Native American tribe, a reservation uh, right outside of Black Earth Falls, and uh, at that, in the Ho-Chunk uh, Nation, and I think at that time we, they were called Winnebago, but now it's Ho-Chunk, and I think that's more uh, uh, a name that's... Uh, more representative of the tribe and had uh, friends that were in um, uh, that lived on the reservation and you know specifically I had my brother had a really good friend um, Tom who would come over to the house and stuff they played basketball together and so you did get a little bit of insight in on life there but still not not completely understanding mm-hmm. what what the experiences were and knowing that there are differences, there were differences, but wondering, like, how could we could have been more, or how I could, let's put it on myself, how I could have been more open to learning more about my classmates and what their experiences are. Um, but still, that was that was my exposure to diversity, and then, you know, coming to... Um, was uh, coming to the University of Wisconsin Madison and opening up <laughs> your world a little bit, just even different religions and uh, different races, ethnicities, and then even going now down to Mississippi, and it's just this constant exposure to culture, and then just being associated with a, a university campus as well, and and just knowing that it just opens you up a little bit to seeing what the world might be like, and now even like I don't know, have you ever had like a gone uh, overseas or well you have you've gone abroad went to Canada to, you went to Canada oh yeah you went to Canada <laughs> that's right I don't know if we count that as abroad but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah out in a boat right yeah. out in a boat yeah but uh, but even just having those a few of those experiences as well and just seeing how one well, there's some similarities between culture, but then yeah there's definitely some differences in how uh, people approach things and just having that exposure that's good mm-hmm. that's good so yeah the difference between like it's one thing to be tolerant or, you know, to think that you're tolerant. It's another thing to really learn and study and under, try to understand another culture based on, you know, what people of that culture say. And so mm-hmm. that's been a good experience for my students, if not very challenging at the same time. Yeah. So I had, I had a lot of things that I highlight. I'm going to, I'm going to take over. I'm going to do one or two. Maybe. You got to fill in some high fives. That's right. Yeah. So I had a lot of things about the power of things. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, one of them was on, uh, the power of expectations. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so one of them, like just an example that I took from the way from the back of the book is on the, uh, when the coach, uh, the, the, the coach in basketball, basketball plays a big role. And actually a lot of Alexi's stuff, they're big, big, in the 10 little Indians, it's a, 
there's a lot of stories that have some basketball in it, and this mm-hmm. uh, Arnold is a basketball player. And he talks about, um, and just I'm going to read a little bit, He's, he talks about on the on the reservation, back on the, I'll just do a little reading, back on the res, I was a decent player, I guess, a rebounder, a guy who could run up and down the floor without tripping. Kind of sounds like me. As a player. <laughs> but something magical happened to me when I went to Reardon. Overnight, I became a good player. I suppose it had something to do with confidence. I mean, I'd always been the lowest Indian on the reservation totem pole. I wasn't expected to be good, so I wasn't. But in Reardon, my coach and the other players wanted me to be good. They needed me to be. They needed me to be good. They expected me to be good, and so I became good. I'm going to live up to expectation. I guess that was to come down to the power of expectations. And then even thinking on the other side, um, like he's they're going to Reardon is going to play um, uh, the team from the reservation. And this is the second time they're playing, and the coach wants him to guard his best friend, and he just starts saying, you can do it. And the coach just kept, keeps saying to him, you can do it. And he makes him say, I can do it, you can do it, I can do it. And like, just that, that power of expectations on someone. And I actually recently heard something from a conference that I had a chance to speak at where uh, a teacher was talking about this group of students who weren't performing up to uh, expectations and they they created a class of them and this teacher was told the principal like we want them to be proficient which is, just means that they're at grade level expectations and you know that just maybe someone out there might not and so like that was the belief that they put around like we are going to do this and so they be, it became like not just a like we you need to do this like no we are going to do this and we can do it we will do it and we're going to do what's necessary to give you the support you need and now all of a sudden everyone in this group because of this belief because of this expectation of where they're going they're starting to rally around each other they're starting to support each other they're doing um, what they're expected to do in the class and they are reaching it reaching those expectations they were they they were on their path uh, to meeting that proficiency label. And it's just that there is something about the power of expectations. And like, and that goes both ways, right? The expectation of, oh, yeah, Drew's going to be successful. Or, or, yeah, oh, no, Drew's not going to be successful. And, like, what is my expectations and or assumptions about a student that's so powerful when you think about that? I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, I, we actually just read that chapter today in my class. And oh, so we, um, I think I'm par- paraphrasing here, but basically, like, after all that, he says, like, do you know how powerful it is to have – an adult tell you that? Mm, Do you know how powerful it is to be like reaffirmed by, um, you know, a coach or a teacher? And I think that's something that is a good daily reminder. And to be honest, the way that I hear some teachers talk about students is not giving that affirmation to them. You know, if we call students low students or students that are struggling all the time, like we forget that that power of expectation is so important. Um, and if we're expecting them to be the low students and we hope that they grow a little bit or we hope that they do better in school tomorrow a little bit, then are we really, you know, um, like speaking those expectations right. and everything like that. Because, so. yeah, if I, if, and it's just like, you know, when you get uh, whatever car you have or you get something and you all of a sudden you start seeing that car everywhere because that's, you know, oh, I have that car, I'm going to go, I'm, you know, and then you start noticing that car and you're just having that. I don't know what bias they call that, but if I have this expectation that a student is going to misbehave or is not going to perform, I'm probably going to notice all those things, those things that I I have subconsciously or consciously told myself to look for, and now I'm going to see them, versus if I tell myself, like, this kid is capable, this kid 
uh, has the ability, this kid can do it, and now start looking for those things, I'm probably going to see him, right? And now, once I see him, and maybe that kid is going to see him too, because probably the same thing is going for the negative direction as well. Yeah, I think, yeah, whatever, however we talk about students is how they're going to think about themselves. So, yeah, very powerful. This this goes into um, another one. I'm going to go for it. Then, yeah. So this is about the power of teaching. And so this is kind of a, my Spider-Man uh, metaphor or whatever. Uh, but when it talks about the teacher on the reservation, which there's a pretty funny cartoon about him. Um, but when he talks about, there you go. When he talks to um, uh, was it Mr. P. Oh, yeah. And so uh, he and Arnold are having a conversation. And Mr. P kind of talks about how it used to be back in the day and how the teachers were trying to basically kill the culture within mm-hmm. the reservation. And that was almost their... their um, they were told to do it. They were told, yeah, exactly. Their orders, almost. And what they were being asked to... And you just... You could see Mr. P and just seeing, like, what he was asked to do and what he was they were basically almost successful in doing. And just seeing, yeah, there was a power there. It was not being used in a positive way. Like, what can schools... What can teaching... What can a classroom... What can be accomplished? And, like, there's a power there, and it was used for bad purposes mm-hmm. and and to see like you know just to understand that teachers have and, and kind of been talking about this a little bit with some uh, in some other areas but a teacher i think is the most powerful lever in society right now i think there's just so much interactions with with schools and with students and families like teachers are powerful well it can be both ways right so they can be uh, uh an instrument of inequity or a, a tool for justice and peace in the world, right? And thinking, like, what, wh- how are you going to u- wield that power? And, you know, Mr. P is talking, I mean, I mean about regret and sorry and, and being asking for forgiveness and, te- and giving Arnold, like, hey, you, you got to get away from here because, you know, the power has been wielded in a bad way in this school and, and you need to go, you know? And so, how do we as teachers embrace that power? Think about how can we use it in a positive way because it's going to be used in it, it, it's no neutral it's going to be positive or negative so there's a way that we're we can have an influence in our students lives and it just depends on it might depend on that expectation it might depend on how we're interacting with our students no pressure right yeah no pressure at no, all i think you're right and i sometimes i'll go home sometimes and i'll think about like just words that you like i might have said one word and i would think about that all night until i get a chance to go and talk to that student the next day and you know make it right either you know apologize or it's just like you can apologize to a student, Drew. You're allowed to do that. Wow. It's not recommended, but it's allowed. That's great. The law says we'll allow it. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, there. That's been I think one of the hardest things is realizing. Excuse me. Realizing that like everything I say has some sort of say, some sort of power, and some sort of you know, Im- like some sort of impact on a child's life, even for the, just that moment or the way they think about themselves or the way they think about school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to choose my words carefully, but I also like to talk a lot. So sometimes I miss one in there. Yeah. No, that's and, and and you think like, how do we steward this gift well, right? How do we steward this gift well? So, I, I kind of took two right there. I think those are both good. So power of expectations, the power of teaching. And you talked about kids dealing kids are dealing with a lot of issues outside the class. We talked about exposure to different cultures. You got another one? I sure do. 
My That's fantastic because we only have four. We'll leave you on the high five with this one, which is students love to hear teachers cuss in class. <laughs> so... <laughs> Sorry. Oh my gosh. Good. That is awesome. Um, the yes. big number five. And so <laughs> something about my school is that we went. The teachers that do teach novels were um, kind of instructed to teach them all at school. You know, students aren't really going to take the books home and read them. And we don't have enough for everyone to read. And so if we're reading, we're reading out loud to our students in class. And so this book it does have some. How do I say this? Slightly above grade level language. And content. Wow, that's a really good way of putting it there, Drew. So that means they like to cuss a lot, which means I have to cuss a lot. It's just the rules. That's the way it's written. If it's written in the book, I'm supposed to say it. So anyway, uh, my point on that is that students like can really relate to the way the junior's speaking because it's supposed to be a, you know a diary, the partly true diary, part-time Indian. You know, it's it's supposed to be his actual thoughts, the way things that were going through his mind, and if he thinks himself as this, and that's what he's going to call himself. Or if other students were calling him this, and that's what he's going to say in the novel. And so there's some things that I won't repeat out loud to my class, and I'll kind of make them read it in their head or talk about why it's even, that's probably not appropriate for me to say in class. But for the most part, just the little ones, they really like the little ones. Yeah, that's good. Well, I was just, you know, I was thinking about some of the things that really spoke to me as a kid as I was reading this, because it's been a long time since I've been a kid. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, really long time. Really, yeah, it gets longer every day. Um, but like trying to think, like what are some of the things that and and you look at it's when the language is reflected. Like the, there's people that talk the way I talk. It's it, it, whether it's been in music or in movies or things. It's like, yeah, that's that's how it looks like. It didn't look like Saved by the Bell, you know. <laughs> you know, it looked like it looked different. You know what Saved by the Bell is, I know right? what Saved by okay. the Bell is. It's on Hulu right now. For those of you listening, they're like, what is Saved by the Bell? It's, you got to go see it. Actually, there's a, on Amazon, they had the, uh, the how one of the main characters in Saved by the Bell was a very awful person. If you looked at all the things that they actually did during an episode, mm-hmm. like Zach Morris, the lead, okay. it, was like, <laughs> like, it was like awful. Like, if you actually thought about it, you did all this. Anyway, that's a, that's a big tangent right there, and we, we might cut that. But um, Next episode. Next episode. Uh, we'll review Saved by the Bell. So, um, but, but thinking about the language and what was happening and the things that are, I mean, it's stuff like this that's in this book or, you know, certain albums or songs or certain movies that you, you know, at least when I had exposure to as a kid and it was like, you know what, I'm seeing how they're dealing with this thing and that might help me deal with this thing. Or yeah, I might not be dealing with it now, but actually there's other things like even, you know, I had to deal with alcoholism in my life. And so like seeing things that aren't all this going through it's like yeah I can kind of understand where there's this there is this character in the room and then like it's causing havoc in my life like the expectations that I had for this moment in my life are out the window because of this thing and so it might be a a child or a a teen or someone in your class even or classes even that reads something like this like okay maybe I can deal maybe I am gonna and, and Arnold does a lot of drawing and you see a lot of his drawings in the book and you can say, well, maybe maybe drawing might help. Mm-hmm. Maybe writing something might help. Um, I think yeah. all these tough things like lead to those real-life conversations, too, where you can talk about you know, a character called this character this thing, and you could talk about you know, why that's homophobic or why that's an issue or why mm-hmm. it's a problem or why cultural appropriation is an issue in today's society. Even if you don't know what the words cultural appropriation mean, you can see why this thing is wrong. You can see why people have issues with this type of thing. So those like 
tough language choices, tough situational choices that Junior gets put into, like they do lead to those teaching moments. You just have, and that's something that I've really spent a lot of time planning for: is how can I make these teachable moments happen, and how can it not just be something that, okay, this a character called this, we sit, we hear that word every day, but why is that not okay, and yeah. why is that something that you should really, you know, think about next time you want to use that word or something like that. Yeah. Actually, that brings me up to a question. So, like, the teachers at Reardon, you know, the the white school mm-hmm. in the book, like, it kind of made me think, like, was, I mean, and, and sometimes Arnold points out to them, like, you know, how they're just so different and they're not really thinking about what they're doing. Like, their actions are a little bit off, you know? Right. Like, not maybe culturally appropriate or whatever. And so, you know, part of me thinking, like, how have I guarded against being like that right like how, you know what are the actions that if I looked at it from you know Arnold's perspective or my students perspective and be like hmm what am I doing that's perpetuating some injustice or you know just <laughs> being totally insensitive to some situation like definitely I think it's a reality check for yeah. sure yeah there's there's a mirror in that book so um that's that's a pretty good high five Will you take there those five that I've submitted? I, I think. Well, you did three. I did two. So three plus two is five. So We made it. Yep. All right. So uh, now you know. So this is like when you have twenty twenty hindsight in, in life. And so what would you do differently uh, given earlier exposure to this book? Or even, you know, maybe you said you read it, uh, you know, when you are in high school, but even maybe didn't think about applying it or to your teaching or, or whatever. Like what would you do? Twenty twenty hindsight. probably a lot of things I would have done differently but I think the one that sticks out to me is my teaching practice um, we're, we wanted to focus on you know the standards and what kids you know should be learning and the skills they need to learn those all come from um, you know the way that we teach and all of that but I think that focusing my unit that I've been teaching this novel on kind of the power of identity and like we talked about at the beginning you know how to have identity, what it looks like, what it looks like to keep it, to not lose it, to try to find it. I think like having a bigger picture for my unit plan based on identity in this novel, and I can kind of tie a lot of other things into it, has been really powerful for me and hopefully for my students. Don't ask them, but hopefully it's been really powerful for them and seeing that like it's not just about the skills, but it's like how can I apply these skills to do what we really want people to do with the English language, which is, you know, have a better vision of life, you know, a better view on life and a more holistic understanding of what life is like for everybody. Yeah. I think also, I mean, and again, I've had a chance to go and watch you teach and teach a little bit out of this novel. I went and they were writing their sports stories about the big game and, you know, just trying to, and seeing what they were writing and and as a, you know, sports reporter and, and having them put on this kind of, um, well, the identity of like someone that's sitting in the audience, right? And thinking about what does it feel like to see, you know, your team and their star player come out and get heard and come back in and but then get knocked out again and like going through this wave of emotions and like trying on it's like almost like they're trying on different role, like thinking like was it what would it feel like to be Arnold in this case? What would it feel like to be Rowdy in this case? What would it feel like to be someone in the audience like reporting on this whole thing? It's like that's really good exercises, you know. And, I think I mean, I think that I really enjoyed to do. I really enjoyed doing that, and I think it like teaches empathy as well. Like even mm-hmm. if it's not explicit, like this is what empathy is. This is what it's like to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. They're doing that by thinking about how every character is affected in this book, and 
maybe subconsciously they're starting to kind of develop some idea about how actions affect other people and how other people are different. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. So I was thinking about it to, I mean, I guess from the, going back to the, the power of teaching and thinking about the, the things that I did as a teacher where I was, I was putting my identity on my students like, for example, we used to do, I mean, and you did them too, like the your base groups, your groups that you kind of worked in and right. we did our kind of our teaching activities in. Well, I would kind of use base groups, these kind of continuous groups that you would kind of stay in throughout the semester. We'd do different working groups, but those base groups you would always start in. And initially, I wanted them to have names, and so I gave them names. And so what I want to do, I gave them all university names. And so my first hour was one conference and every group was a university, and the second uh, second hour was a, is another conference, and every group was a university. Did my class have names? No, we we got I, rid of that. I, used to, I want to go back to it because the names are fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like it. You you use some sort of well now. It, well, I'll tell you the evolution. I'm I'm getting there. Oh, so me. so initially, I put gave them universities because I'm like, well, obviously you want to go to college if you're doing well in math, and like having them have this aspiration. But I'm like. I was in a rural community. It might be that I need to go do some short course on the university, get my agricultural uh, knowledge up to base, and go take over the farm, right? Or there might be some um, some trade I'm going to pick up. I might go into the military. I might do. Who knows what it could do? But I was basically saying like, oh, you're going to take my path, right? Yeah. This is my path that you're going to take. And so not considering the perspectives of the people I was teaching, but taking them, oh, yeah, yeah you're going to want to do what I did. Definitely. And, like, that was that was inappropriate. And then later, so later, I would have them choose their own group names. And then uh, I used to have them make a poster for the group, but usually one person just made that. So instead, guess what, Drew? Had them make shields where each person no way. got that, a section. That's my first day of school activity. Making I, a shield? An identity shield. See, look at that. All right, we'll, good. We'll pretend like I learned it from Joel. Yeah, I don't know where I learned it, but I might have showed it actually in a class. Okay, fine, I learned it all from right. him. Great, I'll take credit for that. Awesome. So all you learned from me, great. <laughs> all right, so now we uh, imagine this. So imagine a scenario. So here's actually what I was thinking. Given that this is a novel and it's full of scenarios, pick a scenario from the book. Pick a scenario. What was a scenario that you kind of thought about a little bit? After the fact, I think one that sticks out to me is probably when his sister died. Okay. And so, just again, not to spoil the whole book, but he he deals with loss in a couple of different ways. And the last person that dies in uh, in his life is his older sister. And so, a little bit of backstory: Junior's kind of been feeling guilty, you know, like why did she leave the reservation and go off and get married and move to this new place? And she seems really happy, but. Why did she leave? Is it my fault? And so when he when she ends up passing away in a fire in her uh, the trailer that she owns with her husband, he really kind of has to process that and has to think about okay, is it my is it my fault or you know it's the third person I've lost in the last couple of months? You know what's mm-hmm. did I put a curse on my people? I yeah. think he says that at one point. Like he's just really struggling with the fact that he's 15 years old and all these people are passing away, and it might be somewhat due to him at least that's how he feels mm-hmm. I guess that would be a scenario that stuck out to me okay so then imagine that 
All right, so if that's the scenario, how do you, you as a teacher, let's say, respond to that scenario? So you get some different ways that the school kind of tries to respond or, like, even just how the counselor tries to give him the news of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, the counselor, you know, is doing what a good counselor does, which is trying to be there and console him and say, you know, wait till your dad gets here so we can talk about it. And Junior basically says, I don't want to talk about it. This is the third person that's died in my life, and... I'm really done talking about it. And so he leaves and says a few choice words to her. But And then another teacher, I think when his dad's best friend dies, I think the other teacher tries to kind of go about business as usual, which I would say, honestly, that's how we are, maybe not trained, but kind of conditioned to mm-hmm. work as teachers, which is if we can provide some sort of consistency and you know everyday routine, then right. you can kind of take the students' minds off of the struggles that they've been through and... It doesn't really work out for that teacher in the book, just like it doesn't work out for us um, to not address those. But I think, I mean, just, I think it starts with knowing your students and knowing when something's up. So you have the ability to have those conversations with them, but also understanding that every, I mean, every situation is going to be different. You have to allow students their own way to grieve and to process and to deal with things, even if it's not death, but you know, tough situation, every single student is going to have a slightly different way that they need to go about it. And so I think we have to be sensitive to that as teachers while not losing out the the overall mission of what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I wonder too, like, what's the role of the coach in that situation, mm-hmm. like the basketball coach or, um, you know, or even the teammates where, you know, they've had, it's probably the place where he's felt the maybe the most ability to be himself in the school is yeah. probably on the basketball team with his teammates, with his, uh, with his coach and thinking about, you know, how might they have been incorporated into that situation? Like, Hey, he's going to need some support in this situation. Maybe the coach is there to help, help out, um, you know, ease into that while waiting for his dad, you know, and just, but you know, there's, you know, the thing is there's no right answer there, you know, and even to just offer that, Hey, do you want, do you want me to go ask, one of your buddies to come over? Do you want me to ask one your coach to be here for this or while you're waiting for your dad? You know, just maybe just be open to like, you know what, I don't know. I don't know what you need right now. And maybe you need to run, but maybe let's just make sure you can run in a safe place or just that you're not going to, you know, overreact to something or do something to endanger your own life, but just make sure you're safe and make sure you can have space to react in your own way. And again, sometimes a, a someone this age doesn't know how to react, right? And so offering them some avenues in order to express it safely. I think that's the best, you know, offer a ton of different options for students to handle things the way that they handle. I mean, I was thinking about something like as small as I have a headache today. It's like, okay, do you need to go get some water? Okay, do you need to, like, is it bad enough to call home? Students won't process it to you know headache, 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 headache. They don't necessarily know that there are the options that are out there. So laying out the options for them yeah. and saying, you know, here's how I can help, or if I can't help, hopefully somebody else can, and right. just whatever it is, please just talk to me or talk to somebody you feel comfortable talking to and I can help make that happen. Um, yeah, I mean, every that's the hard thing. is It's not going to be consistent for every student, yeah. but it is, it's important to develop a consistent attitude about it, whereas I'm, I'm here to help and I'm whatever that means for you, I can at least try to make that happen. Right. Yeah, just knowing that, yeah, kid, like we said from our high five, kids are dealing with stuff and like they might not know how to deal with it and so how do we provide those avenues that's good um so that's that's our imagine this 
So now, some for a seven-year-old. So this is trying to communicate to my son, Jackson, like the core kind of tenets of this book. All right, Jackson, here we go. Yeah. Now, you'll have to jump in wherever. I'm just going to do... If I was a seven-year-old... Yeah, yeah. I would want short sentences, this, then this, then this, then this. I don't know how Jackson is, but that's my thing about me. So I think number one, I would say... It's okay to be who you are. I think that's a common thing. Yeah. I think that's a good, maybe it's a little cliche, but that happens in this book. Then I would say it's okay to have to figure out who you are, Mm -hmm. whatever it's going to take to do that. I guess I'm not really summarizing. I'm summarizing like the themes. No, no, that's fine. No, that's actually, yeah, don't, you don't need to summarize the plot, but summarize, yeah, the, the kind of the. It's almost like summarizing the key learnings from it. I like to no, no, keep going. You're, you're on a good track. Okay. Um, it's okay to share your hard times with other people. That's something that Junior definitely struggles with, and especially when he leaves his best friend, Rowdy, who stays at the reservation, he goes to the predominantly white school, then Rowdy doesn't see him as a best friend anymore, but more of like a traitor, and so it's okay to let people in and let other people in, um, even if it's not your best friend. I would say uncertainty. Well, that's not for a seven-year-old. Not being sure. I guess seven yeah, yeah, yeah. Not being sure um, can lead to great opportunities. So I think there's sometimes you just have to go into things and see what happens. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, I might fail in this situation, but you know what? That's okay. Yes. It's okay. That's a big one. And I feel like I need one more. Focus on the good in your life. Because I think it's easy to focus on the negative, but we just talked about a part where he's like, I'm going to list out, I'm going to draw everything that makes me feel angry because he's a cartoonist, but I'm going to write down lists of everything that makes me feel happy. So he he draws all the angry things and then he balances that out by talking about all the things that do make him happy and the good things in his life. And he realizes, you know, in the chapter we read today, he said, this life, what what a sucky life. You know, like, I'm 14-year-old and life sucks, but there are good things in my life and there are good people and there's, you know, the ability to deal with things through humor and drawing and the people that I have still here and I have a good family and uh, yeah, that's, I don't know. Some people don't take this as like a positive ending to the book, but I think it's a very optimistic ending overall. Yeah. For him particularly, I don't know about for life in general, but I think he ends up with kind of a positive spin on things. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I would have said. Um, yeah, there's there's hope, right? There's some hope there. Mm-hmm. Um, what I liked and I thought about being the, and it kind of was one of my high five, but I'll I'll take it back to like the more of a summary, is thinking about he lists the the tribes that he's a part of, not just right. part of the um, the Spokane Indian uh, tribes. But he lists all these different tribes he's a part of. I mean, to even talking about tortilla chips and salsa lovers, uh, the tribe of poverty, the tribal funeral goers, beloved sons, you know, of boys who really miss their best friends, like all these, you know, tribes that he's a part of. And thinking about, you know, even with, within our, you know, I have three kids and uh, a wife, and so we think about all the tribes that we're a part of. Yes, a lot of them are going to overlap, but some of them don't, you know, and that, that, you know they're trying to find 
what tribes they're a part of and thinking about, you know, Jackson, because he's a seven-year-old, you know, thinking about what tribes you're a part of that don't necessarily have to match up with mine mm-hmm. or your siblings or anyone else and and that you're going to keep exploring and keep finding. Maybe there's tribes you're a part of and maybe tribes that you thought you were a part of that you're not actually a part of. And so trying to find those things and you see that, especially when kids, you know, come to university they think they're we're a part of these tribes but all of a sudden a lot of the support for that comes away and they're like oh i gotta find what my niche is right i gotta find which groups i'm a part of and so like there's this constant like discovering of yourself like well even now like i'm 41 years old and still trying to still trying to figure out which of these kind of uh groups i'm a part of these tribes i'm a part of you know hey now podcaster hey what's up me too i guess yeah podcast there you go guest. they're podcast guests you know um and so that that's it's okay that's not gonna it's not gonna end we're gonna keep you know being affiliated with different tribes and so to find you know for jackson to find which those tribes he's a part of yeah i'm trying to, i have to workshop a thought here so yeah yeah that's what this is all about i think no one's listening <laughs> <laughs> not yet not yet um I think we hear a lot like you're not alone in that, like, you know, like you're not alone, which and that's the point is you saying I'm in multiple different tribes, but there's not another person out there that's in exactly all of these same mm-hmm. tribes as you. So you feel like I'm alone because I'm a, a taco lover and I'm a teacher, but like there's nobody else in the world that's like that. But in reality, there are people that relate to certain parts of you more than other people can. Right. And so, like, being able to figure out who those people are and how they can relate to you and how you can be friends with them and, you know, learn from each other and grow with each other without thinking, okay, we have to have every single thing in common. Like, I can be in multiple tribes. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think that that goes to what you were saying, which is he lists out all the positives and the hope. He's like, I'm in part of all these tribes. And even if, you know, my best friend is not part of all those tribes with me anymore, at least I have, you know, those people that I am connected with. I don't know, that was just a thought workshop. Yeah, yeah. No, like, yeah, like, your, your, whatever, Venn diagram is going to look a lot different than others in thinking about what does it mean, this mixture of who I am, and, like, how do I see that playing out in the world? I don't know. Right, I think, I mean, it takes me back to, like, my freshman year of college, like you said. Wild and crazy times, wow. I don't know about all that, but you're kind of pulled between a couple of different tribes, you know, do I want to join this group or participate in this activity or Mm -hmm. focus on this and this and this, and nobody else is going to have that exact same college path as you. And that's okay. But it's hard to realize that as a freshman, when it seems like everyone has it figured out or everybody has this. And I assume, I mean, I'm sure my students feel the same way where it's seventh grade is a crucial time. We're trying to figure out who you are and who other people think you're supposed to be and all that kind of stuff. So and knowing that as a teacher, and this goes back to the power of teaching, I think, uh, knowing that as a teacher, if I can sh- even share some of that with my own students, like for me, like did you know it took me five and a half years to get my undergraduate degree? I didn't know that. Because I was, I was trying to figure out what groups I was a part of, and I tried out all these different groups, and, or different majors too. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it took a while, right? But now it's like, you kind of find you can find that home right and it, it feels like Arnold at the end of the book he found his home like yes I'm in all these different tribes but that's that's who I am and I, I kind of know at least from now I have this 
stable ground that I can move forward one. And you can rest your identity in that. That's who I am for now, like you said, for now, definitely. It's well, probably a good exercise to have your students come up with their list, right? So there's a there's a, a picture in the book, which this is a podcast, so I don't think I'm able to show you. But it basically splits well, him down the middle. Me. You can't show okay. anyone else, yes. It splits him down the middle. I'll try to do my best to describe it if I can find it. It splits him into the person that he was um, on the reservation at Welpen yeah, yeah, High School uh-huh. and the person that he feels like he's supposed to be at Reardon, which is the white school. So I'm flipping through my book to see if I can find uh, it. But the thing is, it's not just listing out who he is. It's a it's a kind of a comic because he's a he's a, he's a, a comic you know comic strip drawer, and it's just basically splitting him right down the middle. He says, "I feel like I'm being pulled in multiple different directions because I have these two very distinct identities that are clashing in my life." Here I found it on page 57, and so on the left it's him as a white kid. And just the title is just white, and it says, "A bright future, positive role models, hope." And then it talks about what he's wearing um, and how it's all really positive things. And then on the right side, it says Indian. That's just the, the caption. It's a vanishing past, a family history of diabetes and cancer, and bone-crushing reality. <laughs> and those are kind of the three major things as well as what he's wearing. And so this, at this point in the book, this is who he sees. He said, I'm half white and half Indian. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the book, he's saying, I'm actually a part of a hundred different tribes or all these different groups of people and it just took him 150 some pages to realize that <laughs> yeah that's that's great that's great kiss curse what was your first major in college computer science no it didn't work out for you uh not a, uh, i like people like it's a lot of computer mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta talk to a computer a lot in computer science so communication, but with a C plus plus. That's right. Yeah. So it could vent artificial intelligence or something <laughs> like that. So, um, well, we're wrapping we're wrapping up this book, and we got one more thing we want to talk about. But I'm just I'm thankful that you're teaching this book. I'm thankful you're te- you're a, um, I, one of my favorite students. Yeah. Thank you. And, and you keep coming back too. It's it's great too. Uh and that you let me hang around your classroom. It just it's exciting to see what you're doing. It's exciting to see that you taking on this novel and it's exciting to see how the students respond to your teaching. And um I just uh I'm excited for what's what's gonna happen going forward. Not only with your students this year and uh but your career going forward. Well thank you very much and thank you for Coming to my class and being there, it's just like he comes in once or twice a month and says, what can I do to help? And that's honestly, he doesn't know this, but it's like the most helpful thing that he could say because a lot of people want to come offer suggestions and ideas and things. And he does that, but he's basically, he's really just there as someone to help me out and assist me in as a fairly new teacher. That's really, it means a lot. So I'm excited about this book too and excited about honestly the chance to finish teaching it and go back and kind of workshop some of the ways that I did things. and. Yeah. Try again next year. That's right. It's, it's, Something like that. It's the uh, constant unsolvable problem of, like, let's see if we can do it. Let's let's try it. Set it up again. Here we go. Uh, another thing you're a part of, you're part of the Reclaim Project in Marks. Could you talk a little bit about the Reclaim uh, Project? What is it? Yes, so a little bit of backstory. Uh, the Reclaim Project uh, started off as a ministry based out of Starkville, Mississippi, and now out of Jackson. Um, they send missionaries to... Um, South Africa, a country called Lesotho, and they focused on kind of uniting the churches in that area and 
providing um, care for a lot of the orphans that live in Lesotho and um, just kind of community involvement with the people that are helping women become economically self-sustainable in, um, by creating things. And so that's kind of the background of Reclaim Project. And so a couple of years ago, about four, uh, they decided they wanted to do something in Mississippi, kind of the home state, do something um, in Mississippi. And so they focused in on a couple of different towns in the Delta that they thought and you know, had heard that maybe they could be a little bit of assistance in. And so through a series of events, they ended up in Marks, Mississippi, and they asked kind of some town leaders and school superintendent and the people that are just important in Marks, and they said, you know, what can we do to help? Which is, again, my favorite thing that, that, hey, that people do. Yeah. And they said, well, we need, uh, we need teachers. We need teachers who are going to live in this community, and we need... Um, the revitalization of Christ in this community through the schools and outside of the schools. And so the Reclaim Project decided, well, we can do that. And so uh, a group of people that I was not a part of this, but they started doing um, fundraising and planning and decided they were going to renovate an old drugstore downtown into uh, kind of a community center. And so the upstairs of that is uh, seven teacher apartments, so single bedroom that all share a, a bathroom and living space place for teachers to live. So if they work in the Quinman County School District, um, it's a place to live because otherwise there's not a whole lot of places in the area to rent. So people will be driving up to an hour to work there and that, that wears on people. Mm-hmm. And then the downstairs is a more of a community center where we kind of host different events. So right now um, we have a lot of different programming down there. We have Kids Club, which is an after-school tutoring project. Um, we have pastor meetings for a lot of the different churches that come together. We have Um, planning for worship nights and just things in the community that might not have already been there. And so that's kind of been the big mission is living in community with people who already live in Marks and um, helping unite the the churches of Quitman County because there's a lot of churches and honestly that sometimes leads to tension and um, maybe not tension, just disunity in the community. And so that's the whole part of community is the unity part of it. And so if we can bring you know, churches together and show them that we're all kind of trying to do the same thing, then that's been a big part of the Reclaim Project. So I've lived there the last two years, and uh, it's been a really great experience for me to get to know a lot of the people of Marks and work in the school district. And um, Well, I love the model, and I'm going to cut you off. I, I love the model. And the, the reason why I love the model is because I see, I mean, having teachers in the community and there's a, a, a book that by one of my mentors is called Crossing Over to Canaan, and you know she talks about having um, the importance of teachers being a part of the community, being knowledgeable to all the community, and who they are teaching. And they, um, and that book's by Gloria Letts and Billings. But anyway, and just, I mean, even just logistically, just logistically, you're in the community. Like I'm not thinking about I got to drive home. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I got three minutes to come oh you have another question i can answer that question because i don't have to think like oh i'm gonna have ask this question and then an hour to drive home right i'm an hour and then i'll be home and i'll be home in 10 minutes right no matter what i'll answer your question i'll be home in 10 minutes i have to be at school at 7 30 i leave my house at 7 30 so it's there you go <laughs> it's fantastic so i mean even there and just knowing that you're going to be there and be present and and knowing that you know a student might see you at a gas station might see you um at uh, you know getting a bite to eat somewhere or you know just knowing that you could be present at a game or an event and or at kids club or whatever and just that it, it 
I think it just adds clout. It adds like that you're invested in them and like you're invested in the community. And it just one it helps probably your job a little bit. It makes it a little bit easier because mm-hmm. just even for the if in, you have the exact same teacher next door, this one lives in the community, this one doesn't. The one in the community is going to get the benefit of the doubt. That's my my opinion. You don't have to agree with it, mm-hmm. but uh, I would think so. It just makes it easier to be involved in the community. So I think there's. There's nothing wrong with people who live outside of the community and commute in and can still be really... But you have to make that much more of a concerted effort to do that. You know, you have to drive back on the weekends for the football games right. and drive back. And, again, no, yeah, nothing wrong with it, but it, it does make it easier to, yeah. be, to be there. And Yeah, I, I mean, and yeah, I know uh, the... Just just thinking about the model is just... I, I mean, I could see that. And, and I, you know... I, and to be completely honest, I taught in a community where I commuted. And like my wife worked in the city, it was easier for me to commute out than for her to commute in. So I lived a little bit away from my community, and and I there was a difference. There was a difference from my best friend who was a part of the community who lived there. He went to grocery shopping, he saw kids everywhere, and I didn't, you know. Mm-hmm. And I know there was a difference. There was a, a significant. He had more kids hanging around in his room than I did in the morning. Why? Because he's a part of the community. Went to church with them. We did other things with them, and so. There's there was a difference, and I'm just I'm excited about the model. I'm excited about what you're you're doing there, and then just also even the opportunities that exist. And there are opportunities, right? Is there? Uh, so, what if somebody wanted to be a part of the village, which that's the name of the community? Yes. And, and so we live lives. at the village by Reclaim Project, is kind yeah. of what it's called. There you go. Um, full title. So we have uh, a ton of opportunities to get involved. Um, one of which is by volunteering. We have Kids Club, like I mentioned, after school on Monday and Tuesday evenings. Some of our students, and, I think, come out there, right? Yes, yeah, some Ole Miss students come out there. Some local church members come and volunteer their time. And really just, it's kind of like an after-school tutoring program, but it's also, you know, it's Christ-centered, and we're reading Bible stories, and we're getting kids. Um, some kids have never... Am I allowed to talk about religion? You already talked about it. I already it. have. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's my, it's my podcast. Okay, so, you're yeah. in charge. Yeah. Um... Yeah, you get, you know, some kids have not been able, ever prayed out loud before, and you know, have given them the opportunity to do that in kind of a safe location and environment and get to know people that they wouldn't otherwise know. So that's Kids Club on Monday and Tuesday nights. Um, we have a lot of different um, events that go on like that, so opportunities to kind of work on a Saturday or weekend. And so we, we usually update those based on social media yeah, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Reclaim Project website and things like that. So we'll put the link in the show notes. Yes, for this that'd be wonderful. Yeah, yeah. We also we have like a we have a, a a gala coming up in a couple of weeks that's designed to help us do a little bit of fundraising for the um, for the Reclaim Project and for the village and for the people of uh, Equipment County. And so we're really excited about those type of opportunities and really just we accept any and all help that we can we can get. We we sometimes operate a, a thrift store and kind of a, an opportunity for people to come in and take what they need and give what they can and we always thrift take shopping. donations and thrift shopping. we right now we're still I mean we have an identity but we're also still trying to Im- enhance our identity so everything that you know anything that will be beneficial to Equipment County without overstepping is kind of what our, our mission is so if people wanted to show up and say or contact Re- Reclaim and say hey what can I do to help that's that's the question oh, of the day man, right that's, there. That's, that is the question of the day. That's and fantastic. we will have answers for you. Yep, and I know also uh, the um, I got a link to um, those that might want to consider being 
uh, Reclaim Project Fellows, that's what we might call them. Yes. Uh, and I will post that on the website as well for those that might be seeking to try to get employment in uh, Equipment County and then possibly might want to be a part of um, the vill- living at the village, that there's an interest form, that, and I'll post a link in the, in the show notes as well. Yeah, definitely. We have um, a couple of different Ole Miss grads that some live at the village and some don't, but we have a, a fairly large community of Ole Miss graduates at Equipment County School District. and so Hotty toddy. Hotty toddy. We're always happy to have more people apply, and it's been a really excellent opportunity for me to get involved and. Yeah, it's been wonderful. I would recommend that everyone at least give it a shot and apply. And um, if not at Quinman County, then, you know, that's kind of been my big thing is living in a community after college is really, really important, especially for teachers. Yeah. And so this has given me that as well. Yeah, even that on a minimum, if wherever you're teaching, mm-hmm. man, if you can be live in and invest in that community, just go all in, pour yourself into that community. I mean, it's just, I, I think it helps at one, it just helps you be a better teacher but it also it, I think it gives you the full experience it gives you the full experience in thinking about you you might be one of the most important people in these kids lives and for them to see you at the game uh, at the event um, out at a restaurant even or just you know it's walking on the sidewalk and just waving at them and you know that you get to brag on them for the work that they did to their parent or guardian or whoever um, I think that's that's awesome those are those are some some good good events or good things to happen for a kid definitely well thank you drew i've taken up enough of your time i just want to thank you again for coming out um i'm going to brag on you a little bit more um you're just doing some good work and just really appreciate you being willing to share some of that uh, on the podcast well thanks so much for having me and it's been it's been a great experience my first podcast ever so if i stumbled over some words you know why but yeah i've enjoyed getting to to learn from you in college and kind of get into continue that relationship after college. So it means a lot. Awesome. Thanks, Drew. Fantastic. Love hearing Drew. Um, not only in the interview, but then getting to listen back to it. I mean, just brought up a lot of good stuff. And he just has a great way of communicating. And that's probably why he was an English teacher and I'm a math teacher. And you hear me getting tongue-tied every now and then. But one way, I did get tongue-tied over something I do want to bring back up, and I was talking about the power of a teacher. And uh, I talked about uh, a teacher, you know, has a lot of power, but power that could be used in two ways, right? And so one way I've talked about it, and I couldn't remember the words during the re- initial recording of the podcast, is I talked about a, uh, a teacher can be an instrument of inequity, right? So if the world is inequitable and we're not doing anything to actually counter that and we're just kind of going with the flow, well, we're an instrument of inequity. Then, as a teacher, you're an instrument of inequity if you're not doing anything actively to work against inequity, right? So if you are working against inequity, and this is where I couldn't remember, you could be an agent of change, an agent of change. And thinking about the power of a teacher it goes one way or the other. There's really no neutral. There's really no neutral. You're either an agent of change or an instrument of inequity. And most teachers that I see, they're agents of change. They're trying to make a difference in the world. And really, when you think about it, when you're pouring into the lives of, of students and doing what uh, Drew's doing and, and trying to use books like this to give maybe some students some language for how to deal with things that they're dealing with or exposing them to different cultures, it's just teaching with some good literature, you know, and I think about the, the literature I was exposed to as a student in uh, public schools and just how it opened my eyes to all these different things and themes and places and 
times that I wouldn't have normally got if I just would have, you know, just lived and existed without books. And just so glad for Drew in doing that. And like the power that he is exerting and trying to be an agent of change in doing what he's doing in his English classroom is just, it's just tremendous. And so I'm excited about that. But then I'm also thinking about, well, what can we do to support our teachers that are doing this sort of thing? And another thing, so another thing that you heard within the podcast was this idea of what kinds of questions can we ask? How can we support our teachers? And, you know, we kind of joked about this question, that this great question to ask. It's, how can I help? How can I help? We see too often that people come in with solutions and ideas that they want to push on to teachers rather than asking that simple question of how do I help, right? And even, even the, the approach that uh, the Reclaim Project has with the communities, coming in and saying, how can I help? Or my experience with the organization 410 Bridge, they come in and working with communities, they say, how can I help? And letting the communities and the teachers take the lead. Not saying that you don't have something to offer or offer whoever is asking that question doesn't have something to offer. You do. You do. But to come in with a, um, a servant's heart and think, how can I serve this person who's already serving their students, right? Rather than then telling them what to do, how can I serve them? And asking, how can I help? And I think if more of us do that and think, how can we serve others and lead through our service, how much better off are we going to be, right? Right. So let's, let's think about how can we serve others. I'm, and I'm excited to think about that more too. Um, excited that Drew, again, allows me to come in and, and ask that question, how can I help? And, and lets me um, hopefully contribute to his classroom. He's doing some great work and I'm excited to see what he does in the future. So no, it's a lengthy podcast, so we're going to cut it there. Um, that's all I have for episode 11 of the Amazon Planet podcast. Show notes for this episode can be found at amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 11. To support the podcast, and we've talked about the shirts before, but you can do any and or all of the following. i got a pretty good list. Subscribe to the podcast. So you can do that iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, Google Play, Luminary. Saw that's a new one. Or you can even follow the podcast on Spotify. You can share the podcast. So send it to somebody. You, you hear something you, you think that somebody else needs to hear? Go ahead and share it with them. Rate and or review the podcast. I think you can do that through iTunes. I'm not too sure of too many other platforms you can do it to. I think maybe through Stitcher or Google Play. But anywhere you can rate it and or review it, that's great. I've seen some people have reviewed it. That's wonderful. Um, you can also like the Amazon Planet Facebook page. Uh, there is usually a post for the podcast episode. So if you want to comment specifically on a podcast episode, that's probably the best way to place to do it um, is to do it through there. Also, you can subscribe to the Amazon Planet email list. Now, a little-known secret. When we hit a benchmark for downloads, I sent out some free Starbucks coffee out to those that were subscribed to the email list. And it went like a little Starbucks card that got used and people got some free coffee. I'm going to do that again in the near future. And if you want to get in on that action, you need to subscribe to the Amazon Planet email list, which means going to the Facebook page. There's a subscribe button there. Also, you can go to the AmazonPlanet.com website, and there's a button there to subscribe to the email list as well. Just saying, if you, you like a little free coffee, it also gives you some updates on what's going on uh, with uh, Amazon Planet. Also, you, if you want to purchase a shirt, talked about that at the beginning of the podcast, uh, through the Amazon Planet store, that's another way to support 
And again, lots of stuff there. So the Eminem Planet Store links can be found in the show notes, but also in the header and the footer of the website, uh, eminemplanet.com. Finally, I also have a Patreon account. Not doing too much with it, but it basically what a Patreon account does will offer some support for every episode that's put out there. So it just encourages more content to be put out there. Um, and then, then finally, if you want to engage with me further, you can find me in the interwebs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, all at the handle at Amazon Planet. In conclusion, thank you for taking the time to listen to episode 11 of the Amazon Planet podcast. Thanks to Drew Hall for taking the time to share his time and expertise. Thanks to Matt Mifflin for sharing some of his musical talent and his music recordings for this episode. Finally, thank you to all of you out there who are seeking to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you have been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace. Is this a test, Joel? I'm just of the emergency broadcast system. Okay. No, you're good.